at um, the well, we are looking at the different uh, characters and people that we see from around the Advent Ring. So this week, uh, as we remembered the patriarchs, Pete's going to be preaching to us uh, about the life and story of one of the patriarchs. But before we do that, I'm just going to have uh, just going to read our passage today. Uh, and if you want to follow along in a Bible, if you've got it on your phone or um, anything like that. Uh, The passage is Genesis chapter 33, uh, and it's verses 1 to 15, 14, Um, but starting at verse 1. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all of these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, Jacob said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. But because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, and I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant, while I move along, slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of their children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Pete, do you want to come and join me? I do. Um, And I'll just pray for you as we begin. Um, So Lord, I ask that you would be with Pete as he speaks to us this morning. Uh, May the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart be pleasing to you. And may our hearts and minds be open to what you want to share with us this morning, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So, as Mac has explained, this is the beginning of the Advent season. And we have with this, the lighting of the first candle, a remembrance of the patriarchs. Now, a spoiler alert, um, the next candle is the prophet's. Uh, the one after that is John the Baptist, and the final one of the red candles in the outer circle is to remember Mary, the mother of Jesus. So today we are starting with the patriarchs. And underlying all of these, as we go forward, there is, in the Advent season, a sense of waiting, a sense of anticipation of what God is going to reveal through the birth of Christ in our midst. It's the anticipation, dare I say, of Christmas presents. And I know for those of you who are going, oh, is that really a dreadful pun? And it it might have been, um, but no one got it, which is just as well, really. Um, Because they're not the presents we unwrap. 
or wrap or return. And as children, yes, we were full of anticipation for the presents we might receive and we were wondering what was there for us. On that Christmas morning, excitement. But in the Advent season, for many, this period can be bleak. It's darker evenings, it's wet, it's damp. And the cold encroaches on our physical senses. And what I want to encourage you to do in this Advent season is to allow the Christmas presents to encroach on your spiritual senses. The sense of anticipation, the sense of knowledge that God is going to birth a saviour. And at times, well, with the right to Christmas, it can be a huge contrast. For, for many, it can be absolute chaos. It can be darting here, there, and everywhere, buying stuff, going to parties, cooking food, getting ready. For others, the Advent season can be one of, well, desperately isolating and intensely lonely. And in this secular world, it is entirely possible the significance of a king born in a difficult circumstances to a young mother will pass by almost entirely. And to paraphrase the Old and the New Testaments, some that have eyes to see do not see, and some have ears to hear yet do not hear, and have hearts and they do not understand. They are not open. They're not open to receive the presence and the love of God. Now, I want this point, I gave some of you, or as many as I could who didn't have one, a pen on the way in. Underneath your seats, if you haven't really found it, there is a red card. I won't say it looks like this because it'll be the only red card under there, but there you go. Um, I'd like you just to, to pick that up. I want you to take a short amount of time now to, to think about who you might want to pray for in the run-up to Christmas. Somebody who you feel you might want to have a sense that they can experience for the first time, perhaps, the Christmas presence, the understanding of the coming King. And there may be that, you know, as you, as you pray for those, those names, you, you just put them before God, that a conversation will emerge with somebody over Christmas which go, what's all this Christmas stuff about then? And you have the opportunity to go, actually, and you then tell the story. Maybe open those ears, open those eyes for the first time. So I invite you now just to, to take time to do that. And as you do that, um, the cards for you to take away, obviously, and to keep a hold of. Um, Max already alluded to the fact there's, uh, well, told us, in fact, there is an alpha course starting on, in January. Maybe those names you picked out there are going to be some, somebody who you can see over Christmas, have the conversation and say, do you know what? If you really want to know, why not come and join us? Why not come and join an alpha course? You can do that as I talk. I don't, I'm not going to pause too long. Just pick up that pen and, and maybe just put a few names that come to mind. God will prompt you. Um, but I want to go and actually talk about the patriarch. So that's the, that's the clue behind me, the candle. And I'm going to actually pick on one of the patriarchs. I'm going to pick on Jacob. Um, I'm going to also try in doing so, uh, just, just unpack a few themes through that. That of family, that of God's promises, and that of reconciliation. So... I sort of understand about these candles. I understand that the prophets foretold the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist, well, he was the wild one in the desert baptizing people, announcing Jesus was coming. And of course, Mary was the chosen mother of Jesus. 
But where absolutely do the patriarchs fit in? In many respects, from Genesis' account, they appear to be a confused bunch of dysfunctional desert dwellers. There's, you know, read Genesis. It's a, there's some amazing stuff going on in there. But the answer is, the patriarchs, and I'll quick plug, the matriarchs, got a thumbs up at the back there, thank you, um, are the family of God. They are in the line that they're the human and the divine met. And if I remind you from Matthew's chapter 1, this is sometimes brushed over, the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. These are the patriarchs. These are whom we are speaking of. And God, you, you may remember, I spoke a little while back about Abraham. God made promises to Abraham. In fact, he made a covenant promise. It wasn't a contractual agreement. It was a promise. It was a certainty. Your descendants would be as many as the stars in heaven and as the grains of sand. They would be blessed to be a blessing. And God chose Abraham. He chose Abraham despite his human frailty, despite his tendency to get it wrong on more than one occasion, because he knew Abraham's heart was after him. And God therefore invited Abraham's descendants to be part of his family, a family with purpose, a family of promise. So I skip, I'm skipping over Isaac, I come to Jacob. And Jacob's life can be, well, actually, just a moment. Before I go into who, who, I have a favorite television program at the moment, and it's not been that good this season. And that's Who Do You Think You Are? Anyone, any, any other appreciations of that BBC program? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised more people don't look at that. I really am. It's fascinating. Josh Riddicombe, if you want to go back, very fascinating one. Anyway, I digress a lot. Um, because Jacob's story is actually all about a sense of l loss and a sense of purpose for his own identity. He doesn't know who he is. All the way through the, the history of the story of Jacob, he is constantly struggling to come to terms with himself and how God sees him, and more importantly for him at this particular moment, how his father sees him, his, his earthly father. So let me explain. Isaac was married to Rebecca, um, and like Sarah before, was, was unable to conceive. So Isaac prays to God, and lo and behold, Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. The Bible describes it thus. They jostled each other within her. And like many uncomfortable mothers before and after, she asked, why is this happening to me? And God's reply to her is this. Two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from in, within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. I have to wonder whether Rebecca actually shared that particular prophecy with Isaac at the time. I suspect she probably didn't. But at the time of the birth, Esau, as you may remember, the, the hairy man, was born first. He was the firstborn, with Jacob clinging on, as it says in the, in the text, to his heel. And this is the story of their, 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 their lives together. Esau was the, the go-getter, the, the, the firstborn, the hunter, would go out and get everything his father wanted and bring it back to him. Jacob, well, we don't know so much about Jacob at this point. He's a bit of a homeboy, a thinker perhaps, wandering amongst the tents, trying to work out, well, I'm not the firstborn, what am I? What am I doing here? Esau was always upstaging him, bringing back the game, giving his father what he wanted. 
and Rebecca didn't already help. For Rebecca, well, she championed Jacob. She saw him more often. He wasn't out hunting. He was hanging around the tent. And Jacob lived in the shadow of his older brother. And he struggled to find a place. And I sensed that there was a, a measure of rejection and his sense of failure that he hadn't achieved what his older brother had achieved. And Jacob's life is full of this. All the way through, we find him struggling to find his identity with God. And before man and before God. But what happens is, he falls into deception. He, he has to have a cunning plan. And it's actually a story of two stews. The first stew, you may recall, Esau is out um, hunting. He comes in and he says to Jacob, slaving away somewhere in, in, on the camp, I am starving, feed me. It's a word in the Bible that says famished, which I think is a lovely word, but we don't use that too often these days. And, he sa- and Jacob goes, hmm, opportunity here. I wonder. Okay, look, I'll feed you if you'll give me your birthright. And Esau is completely taken off guard here. I, I guess he doesn't even understand what's being asked of him. He says to him, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? Feed me. So Jacob takes his first misguided step in trying to establish his own identity. He, he gets Esau to, to agree a covenant but gives up his birthright. And that is a big deal. He's putting himself above his, his younger brother, his older brother. I remind you of that prophecy that uh, Rebecca heard at the time that she was struggling with twins. But for him, for, for Jacob, this is not really enough. He's still struggling. And, he just, and you might go on to the second, second stew story. Jacob deceives his father Isaac to acquire his father's blessing over Esau. The lot. He's had the birthright, and now he's getting the blessing. Now, Isaac is blind, so the Bible tells us, and he sends out Esau to fetch food, food that he loves and food that he's familiar with. And he says to him, bring it back, and I will give you a blessing before I die. Well, actually, if we read on, <laughs> Isaac hangs on considerably longer than it takes to eat a stew. In fact, he's around for several more chapters in, the, in, in Genesis. But nonetheless... Jacob catches on to this, an opportunity. And he, he, he speaks to, to his mother. Mother says, look, don't worry, we'll get this to you up. We'll get it all together. You, you take it in, you give it to him, and I'm sure you'll get the blessing. And he said, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> Esau's a bit of a hairy man, and I'm clearly not, and he'll, he'll, he'll guess. And he said, well, don't worry. We'll put a bit of goat skin across your back of your neck and make you hairy and your palms of your hands. It'll all be fine on the back of your hands. It'll be fine. I have no reason to believe whatsoever that either of them thought that deception was going to work. In fact, if you read on, it would, in Genesis 27, verse 11, Jacob was quite upset about this. He said, I would, it, would appear I'm, I'm, it would appear that I'm trying to trick him. I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. All that Jacob wanted, all that he was sorting, seeking was his father's approval. He just wanted to be recognized. He just wanted a blessing. And that's all that Rebecca perhaps was after too. But as deception spirals, it gets worse. The first thing that um, Isaac says to him, Is that you, Esau? Yes, Dad, it's me. And after that, he just, it gets bad to worse. And the spiral deception, things he probably didn't want, he gets more than he asked for. In fact, he gets this. The blessing which is bestowed on him says this. May God give your 
you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. Basically, all the harvest is his. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, Esau. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob has taken everything through his deception. It's irrevocable. He can't take it back. Esau comes back. The deception is revealed. Mayhem in the camp. Rebecca says to, to Jacob, you better get on your heels, son, because things aren't looking good. He wants to kill you. And bizarrely, in the text, Jacob goes by his father and receives one more blessing and a bit of marital advice. Go to Laban, your mother's brother, and there find a wife. Do not marry a Hittite woman. Odd, odd little line, that. The reason for that is Esau had clearly let him down badly because Esau, in his out out in the plains, had actually married two Hittite women, and it hadn't gone well. So even, even in that moment, Isaac has some advice for, for the fleeing Jacob. He's on the run. But God attempts to deal with him. He, he meets him in a dream. He, he reminds him of the blessing of Abraham. Despite the deception, despite the lies, tells him, God tells him, Abraham's promise holds and applies to you. And Jacob, however, is still not getting it. He's still thinking and he has to do something to be accepted. And he goes on, well, if you do this, God, then I will, then I will honor you. It, he never, in this part of this, his story, never fully accepts the goodness and graciousness of God's gifts. And you, we sing a song, of course, the way... You are the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are, the promise keeper. He just, Jacob just didn't get it. And he flees from the promised land. And I won't go into the story of religion here, otherwise we'll be here until sometime tomorrow afternoon. Um, what happens when he's, he, he meets Rachel and they marry, and the, the deception that Laban, the brother of um, Rebecca, rests upon him when he ends up marrying Leah first time round and then eventually 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 things go well for him he acquires flock by some of that by deception he requires wealth and he knows that things are going well for him he's now prosperous in the land of Laban and then Laban's sons get upset they get jealous same old story what happens next Jacob takes to his heels and makes for home and he takes everything with him and if you, the, the story is long in, in the Genesis telling, but it's not, a, not a good, it's not a good story. So Jacob, now wealthy with his family and his herd, set off back to, the, back to his father's lands. But he does so in the knowledge that he's going to have to face Esau. Esau, by, by the way, where has come to him, has 400 men at his side. And Jacob's fear is that Esau will do for him. Esau has promised vengeance. And Jacob can see no way of getting around this. And as the text of Mac read for us, he, he gathers up his family, he gathers up his droves of flocks, I mean, and puts them ahead of him in an attempt to appease Esau so that Esau will not, will, well, effectively will be bribed by what is coming his way. And it's the night before the, the, the reunion. And having gone forward 
he now steps back. He, re he retreats. He spends the night on his own, alone. And, the, the, and here, we, here we have again a meeting. He tries to bargain with God. His prayer is this, I am unworthy of all your kindness and faithfulness. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan. In other words, I had nothing. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper. I will make your ascendance like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob is trying to remind God of the promises he's made. He is scared of what may happen when he confronts Esau. And that night, he, in, the, in his dream, he wrestles with Jacob. He wrestles, Jacob wrestles with a man. And he wrestles with God. He wrestles for a blessing, still in search of a blessing, still in the insecure, uncertain identity of Jacob, not knowing his place in God. He's still looking for something. And his, his, his leg is ripped out of its socket. He limps away from that encounter. But he limps away with a new name, Israel. El is God. Israel is fight. Israel, the fight of God. He goes from that place to do business with Esau. But despite all his wrongdoing, all the way through this, God is determined to bless him. Just as he's determined to bless us. Why? Well, because he made a covenant promise that his family will be blessed. And God is not going to give up on that promise. He doesn't give up on promises he makes to us. So what is this all saying? Sometimes we may not get it right. We may deliberately step away from God's intentions for us. Like Jacob, we struggle. But God remains faithful to us. And one last thing in this, this part of our story is the moment of reconciliation and not vengeance. This is the most remarkable encounter between Esau and Jacob. Esau had every right to dispatch Jacob, to put him to death. He'd stolen everything, his, his birthright and his blessing. But what does he do? But Esau ran. He ran through the droves of, the, of, of animals. He ran through the family to find his brother, and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I wonder if this reminds you of any other story, a story perhaps of the prodigal son. Esau does what the resentful son in the prodigal story does not do. He lays himself down and opens and embraces the returning brother. This is a story of a family. It's a story of God's family. And we refer to, the, to them as patriarchs, although they are deeply flawed, they are family. And that's true of us, in our families, in our circumstances. We may not be perfect. We may get it wrong. But nevertheless, for Jacob, God saw them as the future, the future hope, the name Israel, the future nation. But why, why, why this? Why, why was this so forgiving? Why didn't, wasn't there punishment? Why didn't he get vengeance? And for those who understandably, the heart cry of many who have been wronged, their cry is for justice, and for some the cry for justice equates to vengeance. And please hear me when I say this, that God's heart is always for justice, and that he, he could so easily have intervened with Jacob. He could have made him painless, outcast, or worse. But God persisted with him. And the reason he did so was actually 
if you were here when Ruth preached a couple of Sundays ago, she spoke about God's heart. God's heart is for reconciliation and not vengeance. God seeks restoration and he keeps his promises. Jacob is not, sorry, justice is not about punishment. True justice is about reconciliation. Brother embracing brother, father embracing son. God's desire is that all creation will live in harmony. Now once again, let me say, I know that for some this may seem very difficult. For those of you who have been wronged or hurt, the thought of reconciliation, the thought of, rest, of a restoration is almost impossible, if not inconceivable. That does not negate God's heart. And God's heart is for reconciliation. Reconciliation his family on earth he wants to see peace that we are in harmony with one another and he sent his son to be a, this final sacrifice for atonement of all sin for all our transgression and the brothers Jacob and Esau when they met they wept Jacob probably out of sheer relief that his life had been spared Esau out of celebration that his, his brother and he were reunited and my prayer is really it really is that this Christmas we might know the presence of God and that the presence may bring about reconciliation and the peace to those living in conflict and with enmity now the card you have and you may or not I don't know whether you've written any names on it but I invite you to maybe not now but at some point to reflect on those people who you may have need to make peace with for those people over this Christmas period who you have long since fallen out with. Families are dysfunctional. This family that we, I described through Jacob is as dysfunctional as any other family, if not worse. But Esau was able to forgive his brother. So, make peace with and pray for those this happened time. As out of darkness comes a great light. This is a big ask for many, I know. But we can still ask God to work miracles this Christmas. It is not impossible. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. My message simply is this. This is a time approaching Advent, where we can start to search out the Father. We can pray for those who we want to see come into his kingdom. We can pray for those who we need to seek reconciliation with. Don't miss the opportunity to step into the, the spiritual realm that is a, it surrounds this moment, surrounds this period of waiting. For many, as I said right at the beginning of my talk, will get sucked into the doing, the partying, the buying, all of which has its place. But this is not the place that God wants us to be. He wants us to be ready to receive him as an infant child and to celebrate his, the birth of his son and do so in a place where we are at peace with ourselves and at peace with others. If you want to know the end of the Jacob story, go to Genesis 40. By that time, he gets it. And bizarrely, when Joseph brings his two sons for blessing, 
he crosses his, his hands and blesses the younger as against the older. God works in mysterious ways and he can still work miracles in people's lives today. I really encourage you to, to think on what I've said. I apologize if it's been a bit, a bit loaded, um, but I think now is the time for us to get right with God and to get right with man. Thank you.